there's more to this life than I thought. And James inspires me. The things he says have encouraged me. It's like there's a walk, there's a path, and it's leading to something more real than I've ever known before, and it's exciting. I get around James and I hear things that help me in my life, my work. This work he talks about has become my work. I am excited about the possibility that other people could be affected, other people could be inspired to work on themselves, to grow, to, to realize there's more to this life. Time waits for no man. Time marches on. Time is relative. Time is money. Time heals all wounds. Time flies. Time cuts down all great and small. And there are probably a lot of other sayings about time. Ospensky asked Gurdjieff, what is time? Gurdjieff replied, time is breath. It's a unique answer, but it's one that gives new meaning. If you start to understand time as breath, you're going to have a whole new meaning for time. And this work is about new meaning. Your spiritual self, your psychological self, grows and feeds on new meaning. If you don't get new meaning, you can never change. You will always be the same person, doing the same thing, reacting in the same ways, attracting the same life to you over and over and over again. It's so funny. Well, not funny, haha, but it's so interesting that you'll find, say, a woman who, who marries an alcoholic and then she's just had it and she divorces the alcoholic and she runs out and she finds another alcoholic and marries him. And there are people who could do that three, four, five, six times and never get it, never get that they are attracting alcoholics, that they need to have an alcoholic in their life so that they can play their part, their role in this drama. They never get it. Those people are not usually the people who are interested in this work. They're interested in alcoholics and the drama of alcoholism. Not that there's anything wrong with alcoholics. I think that's fine. You want to be an alcoholic? Go right ahead. It's okay with me. Personally, it doesn't appeal to me, but if you like it, okay. It's okay with me. It's a valid way to end your life. We all find valid ways to end our lives. Some people end their lives in plane crashes, automobile crashes. Some people end their lives in hospitals with some debilitating disease. Some people electrocute themselves. People find all kinds of ways to get out of this. None of us here are probably going to ascend out of this, so you're going to end it somehow. And it'll either be under the law of accident or it won't. And what you do between now and then will determine whether you leave under the law of accident or under the law of fate. I recommend leaving under the law of fate as conscious as you can be so that when death comes, you say, oh, here it comes. It's my time. And you embrace it as something new and you get all the meaning you can get out of it. That's what I recommend. And if you think I'm crazy, then that just shows you how far you are away from where I think this path goes. And if you think it goes another way, okay, maybe you're right. I don't know. It's impossible to change without new meaning. That I do know. Another thing I know is time and speed are connected. To understand that time and speed are connected, we have to observe we are a laboratory. This body, this mind, this psychology, this is a laboratory. And it's my laboratory. And in this laboratory, I can work. And a scientist working in his laboratory, one of the first tools that he has is objective observation. That's a very important tool. You can do objective observation without any other tools. You don't have to have a test tube. You don't have to have a beaker. You don't have to have a Bunsen burner. You don't have to have chemicals. You don't have to have anything like that. The most important tool of a good scientist is his ability to observe objectively. That is, without preconceived notions so that he starts 
starts to see what he wants to see or what he believes he should see. It's someone who can be objective, who can stand apart from it, and who can not identify with what he's observing. And that is his greatest tool. That also happens to be your greatest tool in your laboratory, which is your life. If you will observe your life without being identified objectively, you will become a good scientist and you will discover things and you will develop. We can observe our own centers operating at different speeds. You can think about running upstairs or downstairs. And if you just sit here in your chair and you think about running upstairs and downstairs, you can do it very quickly. But if you think about running downstairs while you're doing it, what will probably happen? You'll slow down or you'll trip. But if you're running, you're not really going to be able to slow down much. Very likely you'll fall. That's how it goes. The intellectual center has parts, just like every other center. But the part that we live in and we use, we don't have anything that we can call a proper intellectual center. What we have is formatory apparatus. That's where most everything in our intellect, when we say our intellect, what we mean is the formatory part of us, the part that swings like a pendulum over here, over there. So you'll notice that we have these extremes and these opposites, and we have harsh reactions to these things and harsh reactions to those things. That's the formatory apparatus at work. You'll notice that we have likes and dislikes. That's the formatory apparatus at work. So you like something, you don't like something, you want to do something, you don't want to do something. That's because you're in your formatory apparatus. That is what we call the intellectual center. That's not properly the intellectual center. It's just a part of the intellectual center that's out of order and working wrongly. But it's where we feel most comfortable because it's where we've passed our lives. And this sad state of affairs is the sad state of affairs that the work finds us in. We like to say we find the work, which is very self-centered. The truth is the work finds us. That's the truth. We don't really have much to do with it. All we can do is be receptive. All we can do is begin to value it if we have magnetic center, if we have something inside of us that can value it. So let's get back to why you would be falling down the stairs if you were thinking about running down the stairs while you were running down the stairs. Your thinking is slower than movement. You're driving your car and someone pulls out in front of you. Before you think about what to do, your foot is on the brake, your hand is turning the wheel. Everything kicks in instantaneously or very quickly compared to thinking. So we can observe that our thinking is slower than our movement. The speed of the moving center is faster than the formatory center, which is the part of the intellectual center that we use. Okay, we'll just call it the formatory center for now. That's the part we use. And incidentally, the formatory center is the slowest of any part of any center. Nothing is slower. So if you wonder why you're so slow, it's because we spend our time in the formatory center the part of the intellectual center that's formatory. The speed of emotional thinking is far quicker. Now, emotional thinking is what a lot of people call intuition. You walk into a room, and emotional thinking takes a lot of things in all at once. It doesn't really pass through the intellectual center. It goes directly into the emotional center. But it's in the thinking part of the emotional center. And so it all happens very quickly, a lot of impressions all at once. Boom, and it puts them all together and makes connections. Some people are very quick and good with intuition or emotional thinking, and some people are lame because they spend more of their time in the formatory center. People who are slow take things one at a time. A quicker person takes two things together. He sees connections between things that the slower person doesn't see. So if you're playing chess, a slow person and a quick person, a slow person will see his next move and possibly see the possibility the next person can do with a move. He'll see one thing at a time. But he won't be a good chess player because he'll be fixated on his move. And he won't be able to see what his opponent could be doing on the board. 
So he'll think, well, I'm going to make this attack over here. While he's thinking he's going to make his attack over there, his opponent, who can take two or three things together and see them, will be the quicker person. And he'll be seeing, oh, yes, well, he'll be over there doing that. Well, I make this end run around here, flank him, and capture your piece. Or capture a couple of pieces and get a tactical advantage in the game. So a quicker person is going to be able to see more things that he can do. He's going to see them together, where a slower person is only going to see one thing. So he's kind of got target fixation. Target fixation excludes second force because the focus is on what they wish to do. People who get target fixation, and you know, this is something that happens with people who fly airplanes. They found this during the war. People who flew airplanes, they would get fixated on their target, and they would be shooting at their target, flying toward their target, shooting at their target, and their target wouldn't be blowing up. And they would be so fixed on it that they would crash into their target. And this is different than the Japanese pilots who were kamikaze pilots who crashed into things at the end of the war on purpose. These were people who didn't want to crash into things. They just got stuck. Their minds got stuck. And see, they could only see one thing. They couldn't see second force coming up at them at 600 miles an hour, the ground. That's what that's like. Now, of course, if you're not a pilot, you think, well, I can't have target fixation. Wrong. You, trust me, you have target fixation about a lot of things. Now find out where you have it. And rather than have me tell you, the work is, now I've told you what you have. Now you find it. You find examples of it so that next week when you come back here, you can tell me what you found. You can say, oh, I have target fixation about this. I have target fixation about that. You can have target fixation about where you're going to be in five years. You can have target fixation about money. You can have target fixation about food. You can have target fixation about love interest. You can have target fixation about almost anything. If you haven't found yourself in there yet, it's time to wake up. Wake up, wake up, wakey, wakey, <laughs> eggs and bakey. Quicker means more comprehensive, which comes from higher states in which we see many things together and we understand better. Comprehension, understanding, they are the same thing, aren't they? So if we could take more things in together and find the connections between them, we have better understanding. The problem with us is we don't usually do that. What we usually do is we gather a lot of knowledge, we keep it on index cards or some similar thing, and then we call it up. And we repeat, we recite, we regurgitate the knowledge. This is not understanding. Understanding is the ability to connect the things in a practical way so that we begin to change our level of being. So the knowledge and the practice of that knowledge gives us a greater understanding, and that greater understanding raises our level of being. The more you understand, the more your level of being will be expanded, will be raised. That's just how it works. You'll see that's how it works when you start to think of who you were when you started this work and what you're like now. You may not see a huge difference, but that's because you have target fixation. But those of us out here do see a huge difference. And if you don't see a huge difference in people, it's because you still have accounts and you need to cancel those accounts. When you start canceling those accounts, you will liberate that person. When you liberate that person, you will see what they have done, who they really are, what they're becoming. You will see how far they've come. And you'll be grateful, not only for your ability to see it, but for their ability to go that far. It's the wonderful thing. One of the things I read in Oswald Chambers this morning was that a person who can't recognize someone who is, who is spiritually greater than he is is a person who is showing his own worthlessness. I'm not saying it exactly right, but the idea is that our worth can only be as great as our ability to see someone else's worth. And if we see our worth as more than other people around us, that just emphasizes our worthlessness, our worthilessness. When we can see the worth, the value of another person, that increases our worth. 
So that was the idea, and it was a great idea, really a terrific idea. And that's the truth, because the more we value people, the more we value life, and I don't mean value yourself, but I mean value life, value people, because self-valuation is a whole different thing. When the false personality gets involved in that, it's a very ugly thing, because it becomes conceit, pride, vanity, selfishness, self-interest, self-adoration, self-love. It's very ugly. But this is different. When we comprehend, we reach a higher state, those things fall away. It's not so important what we're worth. It's important what other people are worth and valuing other people. All right, so as I said, quicker means more comprehensive. In higher states, we just see more. We see more things together because we are with better eyes, and better eyes have better understanding. And when they have better understanding, they make connections faster and they make right connections. When you're down in the mechanical parts of centers with the little negative eyes, you don't make many connections. Someone says something to you, you only hear it one way. You don't hear it a number of ways. You, you don't hear it like, well, they could have meant this, they could have meant that, well, maybe they meant this, maybe they meant that. A better state, a more expanded state, it wouldn't even matter what they meant because that doesn't have anything to do with you. That's their problem. But if you wanted to know, you could always ask them. But see, in lower states, we never ask. We just assume we know and react. The little negative eyes always find something to react to, some way to get negative because that's what they love. All this is made possible through work of some part of a center operating at a higher speed and seeing things together. Whenever we can comprehend more, it's because there's some part of some center in us that's operating faster, so it's quicker. So you've got this idea of speed and time. The quicker you can take in impressions and make connections, the faster time is for you. Now, let me see if I can explain this. This gets difficult sometimes, but let me see if I can explain this. Have you ever been in an automobile accident? Have you ever had the experience in an automobile accident or a motorcycle accident or something? I remember Danny, when he had that motorcycle accident, he really racked himself up. Remember that one when he was going to work? He said that time slowed down and he could see where he needed to take the motorcycle. He could see the woman in slow motion coming over and he could see cars doing this and cars doing that all in slow motion. And he was like, wow, I can just ride right through here. The only problem was that the motorcycle didn't respond the way his mind did because the motorcycle was in this slower physical time and his mind was in this higher state in psychological time, a different time zone. He could see things happening because in the physical world, in solar time, everything was going very slowly compared to the higher state he was in because he was in danger. His life was in danger. He was on the freeway doing 75 or 80 miles an hour on a motorcycle. And some woman lost control of her car in front of him and went sideways. It was imminent crashing unless he got out of the way, which meant death. He managed to get out of the way, but he could not keep the bike under control because you still have the physical laws, the laws of physics that are limiting you here, while your mind is in this other place, this other state where you can see the solution, but you can't make it happen because of the physical limitations of the laws of physics, inertia, and so on and so forth. So he avoided the woman. He avoided death by car, and he ended up going off the road, crashing and tumbling down the road in slow motion. Remember him telling this story? Tumbling, flying down the road in slow motion. All this happened in fractions of a second, in split seconds. But for him, it all took a long time. So that's what I'm talking about. Now, if you've had that experience or anything similar to that, I explained to you one time that I had this flash from a higher center of something happening. Well, it hadn't happened yet. And so I was putting up some water in the microwave to heat it up. 
and I dropped it and it all, the water hit the floor, the measuring cup hit the floor and the water spilled all over and then it happened. So at first I saw it all happen and then it happened. All that was was the difference in time. Now, it doesn't happen very often, but it does happen because there are different speeds of time. Now, Einstein talked about this in his theory of relativity. If you're familiar with it at all, he gave the theory of the twins, identical twins. And one of them stayed on Earth while the other one space traveled. He got in a rocket ship and he took off. And he went out into space and he was traveling at near the speed of light. And then he came back. And when he came back, he was younger than his identical twin. And what Einstein was saying is that time is relative to speed. So time and speed are connected. Now, Einstein didn't work this out completely before he died. And other people have been working on it. But it's an interesting idea. And you can read books about it and find things about it if you're interested in that. Stephen Hawking wrote a great book on time. And he goes into that a little bit. So it might be something you'd be interested in. As a matter of fact, I had the audiobook, Stephen Hawking's audiobook, and uh, I had it on the other day, and Laurie was listening to it. And I said, This is the kind of stuff I love to listen to. And Laurie's like, what? Why would you listen to that? <laughs> That's not even remotely entertaining. But for me, it was because it's the, these ideas excite me. These ideas help expand my mind and bring new meaning. And new meaning is what it's all about. Any dog can return to its vomit. But you need new meaning if you want to change. And I do want to change. And so I encourage you to get new meaning. And I try to bring different ways of looking at things to you. So every week when we get together, I'm talking about the same old thing, but I'm trying to talk to you about it from a different angle so that somehow you have the opportunity to get new meaning. This is a banquet. This is a feast. So here it is. Get new meaning from it. Devour it. Find something that is new to you. Find something you can get hold of and track down that will nourish a higher part of you, that will open up channels in you open up pathways to higher centers. That's really what we're about. I do digress, don't I? So the work says that the moving center works 30,000 times faster than the ordinary part of the intellectual center that we use, which of course is what? The formatory center. Yeah, the formatory center, the formatory apparatus, whatever you wish to call it. So we switch for an instant into the moving center, like Danny and his accident. He switched into the moving center from the thinking center. The accident, his experience where time slows down. Time, of course, doesn't really slow down. What really happened was he was running on a higher fuel. He was running on a higher fuel because he switched for a moment into the moving center. The moving center operates 30,000 times faster than the formatory center. 30,000 times faster, what does this really mean? Well, it doesn't really mean anything. We're not measuring the speeds. We're just saying it's relative. So relative to the formatory center, the moving center operates 30,000 times faster. That's all we're saying. Is that exact? No. None of this is to be held with a stranglehold. None of this is to be put into a vice. This is esotericism, people. You hold it loosely, you taste it, you smell it, you allow it to feed you, you allow yourself to become open to the impressions. You just get a whiff of it, like incense. And we're like food cooking. And you know what's cooking by experience, by, yes, that smells like this, or that smells like that, or that smells like this, this, and this. And a good cook can smell something and tell you what's in. They can tell you that's, that's rosemary, that's a bay leaf, that's this, that's that, that's cilantro. They can tell you that's the way it is. So you develop that. You can develop that. And this is what the work is asking you to do. It's asking you to develop this psychological sense, this internal sense of things, so that you can begin to see that you're in this 
this center, you're in that center. And you can notice the different speeds of the centers, the different timing of the sensors. Danny switched for an instant into the moving center, and he was taking in more impressions. And he was taking them all in together. He didn't see just this one tunnel vision, just this car. He saw all the cars in front of him and peripheral. He saw the space between the cars. He saw where there was an opening for him to put his motorcycle in that space. And everything went fine until he got into the dirt. When he got into the dirt, the motorcycle didn't respond the way it did on pavement. So he lost it. But you get the idea. When we become conscious for a moment in a part of a center working at a higher speed, the half second before the crash expands, making it seem like a long time. So the half second or so before Danny actually hit the dirt, got off the road and hit the dirt. If he'd hit the road, he'd have been dead. But because he hit the dirt, he lived. The half second before, what happened was everything seemed slower because he was operating so much more quickly in this different part of the center that's operating with this much higher fuel, with a much finer food, as it were. At the same time, an accident may seem over in a flash. It's a paradox, in a way. All of these things can happen, and you see it like in slow motion. But then there's another part of you that sees the whole thing just happen like, bam, and it's over. But this one part of you is seeing it one way, while another part of you is seeing it another way. It's kind of like dual seeing. Have you ever had that experience? Okay, good. I'm just checking. As long as we have at least one other person who's had the experience, I feel like making connection somewhere. And if you've had the experience and you're not shaking your head so that I know that you've had the experience, shame on you. This dual experience of time can be very confusing if we don't understand what's happening. If we don't understand what's happening, we don't understand that we're in different parts of centers at the same time. You know you're in different parts of centers at the same time. You can think and chew gum. So you can be in the moving center and the thinking center, which is the formatory center. We can be in those two centers at the same time. You can also be in the instinctive center. So you can be in three centers at the same time. You can be in four centers at the same time. We don't do that very often, but you could. It's something that we can develop, and it's something that this work will develop in us if we work with it. If the emotional center is working properly, we see and connect so many things together into a whole, it can actually seem like we're clairvoyant. So it's like, how did I know the cup was going to fall? And was it just self-fulfilling prophecy? And blah, blah, blah. People who don't understand make up all these things. Well, it's just self-fulfilling prophecy. You made that happen, whatever. But the truth is, you really do have centers that work much, much faster than your slow formatory center. And if you're in those centers, you can see things that seem to be clairvoyant. You can see things happen that seems to be before they happen. When the truth is, you're dual seeing. You're seeing one thing happening at two different speeds. And like I said, it's a dual experience, and you have to have it and begin to understand it before you're going to make any sense of it. Ordinarily, with us, the emotional center is so saturated with negative emotions and self-emotions that it can't work properly, and it serves pretty much only to make us sick. Emotional center, for most people, makes them sick. They lose their appetite or they get an appetite. This happens or that. They get ulcers. Their hair falls out. Their hair turns gray. Stress, blah, 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 blah. It's all due to the emotional center being saturated with negative emotions, self-love, self-will, run riot, and making us sick because of all those things, all the conflicts, all the insanity, all the madness that it generates because of all that. Expanded time comes from part of a center working at a greater speed, while contracted time means the center is working at a lower speed. Have you noticed that time can slow down and seem like it's taking forever, waiting in the doctor's office or whatever, and it just like takes forever? Why is that? Well, because you have entered into a center that operates at a very low level, and so it's slower, and everything drags out and takes forever, and you're probably negative.
But have you ever noticed how quickly good times go? You're expanded, you're positive, you're operating in a different hydrogen, different, a higher fuel, and whew, it's gone in an instant. Pleasant sensations, whew, they're gone in an instant. Unpleasant sensations, is this ever going to end? This is the explanation for this. So thus, our experience of time is relative to our state. Your state of mind determines what your experience of time is going to be. Is it going to go quickly or slowly? Well, that depends on your state of mind. Each second of our time contains many other scales of time. That's why Gurdjieff said time is breath. I was listening to uh, Buddy, my dog, breathe. He was asleep, and he breathes about three times faster than I do. So they say that a human breath, that a cycle for us, takes about three seconds. Inhale, exhale. With a dog, it's much faster. With a tree, it's much slower. Trees live longer than dogs. People live longer than dogs. Dogs live longer than houseflies. Imagine how quickly houseflies are breathing. So when Gurdjieff said, time is breath, that's what he meant. Your time is your breath. A dog's time is the dog's breath. Our higher centers work at enormous rates compared with the formatory center, which is the slowest of all parts of centers in us. This is why your life can pass before your eyes in a moment. I suppose when someone, they say someone's dying and their life passes before them in an instant. Have you heard people say that? Maybe you've even had the experience where your life just passes before you. You see your life flash before you. You've entered a higher center and at a higher center, everything's much quicker. So much quicker that it seems unreal. It seems miraculous. And this is just because we spend so much time in the slowest, most contracted part of our being, the formatory center, the formatory apparatus, operating at hydrogen 48, which is a really dense, slow, heavy food, fuel. It's like the difference between a raw potato and rocket fuel. You could put raw potatoes in the spacecraft shuttle all day long. It's not going to get it anywhere. But you put that liquid hydrogen in there that they put in those things. That's some go-go juice for them. But you don't do well on that. So the idea is that each center has its ideal fuel, where if it was working properly, it would have its own special fuel. It would be like regular leaded. There would be regular unleaded. There'd be mid-grade unleaded. And there's premium unleaded. And there are obviously more fuels than that, but for us because we're much more complex than a car. And so there are many more fuels for the different parts of our centers. You wouldn't put unleaded gas in your brake reservoir for brake fluid. It wouldn't work. You wouldn't put premium gasoline in your crankcase. You wouldn't put gasoline in your radiator. And no matter what octane it was, it wouldn't work. It's because even a car has brake fluid, engine oil, gasoline, power steering fluid, and all these different fluids are all these, they're like different fuels that keep that center operating. And then you have the electrical center, which is using a battery and electricity which is totally different fuel. So this is what we're talking about. We're talking about you being so much more complex than a car. And a car has all those different fuel sources. You too have many different fuel sources. But because we don't pay attention to ourselves, we don't understand how we operate, we don't know, we just want to take our car to a mechanic and have him fix it. Pay somebody else to do it. I don't want to be bothered with it. I don't know what's wrong. Call AAA. And then people do that with their life. People do that with themselves. They go to a psychiatrist. They go to psychologists. They go to their neighbor. They go to the bar. They go to the bartender, they go to their girlfriends or their, their guy friends or whatever, and they talk and they get all this great advice and they end up 10 times worse than they started off. And maybe sometimes somebody gets better, a little better, but nobody really gets much better. Why is that? That's a question. Why is that? Okay, obviously you've forgotten the answer, but let me remind you that's what I'm here for because we're self-developing organisms. Self-developing organisms cannot be developed by someone else. You have to develop yourself.
You must do this yourself. So if you're waiting for the enlightenment to dawn on you while I'm talking, forget about it. You may get a flash, but you will not be enlightened. You will not be me by listening to me, which should be a great relief to some people and a terrible blow to other people, depending on your ability to find worth and value in another human being. It really is all about you. And this is what you always wanted, except not quite this way. (laughs) (laughs) It's all about me. Oh, but not that way. Consider how time varies in dreams. You have a dream. You have a long dream that can only take like a couple seconds. You're like dreaming a week in a couple seconds. What's that about? Well, dreams, of course, come from different centers. They really do. They come from different parts of us. So there'll be some dreams that come from higher parts, higher centers. There's some dreams that come from the sex center. You've had those dreams. I can tell by the look on your face. There's some dreams that come from the moving center. You have dreams of running or flying or something like that. There are some dreams that come from different centers. So when dreams come from different centers, they happen at different speeds. A long dream can take just a few seconds of solar time. Or a short dream can take a long time in solar time. You just don't know. It just depends on which center the dream is coming from. Inner time is different from clock time. Our internal time is different from clock time. Anybody who has traveled very far knows this. I went to the Middle East. It was a direct flight from Los Angeles to Tel Aviv. And the clock time and my inner time were not in sync. And so at like 3 o'clock in the morning, I woke up. I was tired, but I woke up, I was wide awake, and there was absolutely no way to get to sleep because my body said it was time to get up. My inner clock said it was time to get up. The solar clock said, no, it's not time for you to get up. But my inner clock didn't pay any attention to that for quite a while, actually. I think it took a few nights. So we have these inner time different from clock time. Our bodies are in a physical time, while our psychology experience many different rates of time. Psychologically, spiritually, we can experience a lot of different rates of time. Physically, we pretty much just experience one time, solar time, clock time. Einstein's relativity theory, based on differing speeds, moving near the speed of light, time then is slower than here on Earth. So the faster you go, according to Einstein, the slower time goes. Because basically, you're kind of outrunning the light. You're really not outrunning it. But as you approach the speed of light, you're going much, much, much slower. But someone who is moving at our regular speed is aging at the regular time. Whereas the person who's traveling at the speed of light, according to Einstein's theory, he's really aging much, much more slowly. So that's the idea. It's a fascinating idea. But this ties in with the different speeds of the different centers. The more we take in, the slower time. Appears. This is the simple formula. The more you take in, the more impressions you take in, the slower time appears. If you are able to be conscious or more conscious in the now, the now moment is eternity. There is no end to it. If you were able to remain conscious in now, everything would be happening very quickly and very slowly at the same time. And the more conscious you were, the more rates of speed time you would be aware of. The less conscious you are, the slower time is, and the fewer rates of speed you are aware of. Does this make sense? So, the more we take in, the slower time appears, although time hasn't changed at all. The less we take in, the longer time appears. Simple principle. Maurice Nicole wrote, Each center is a special kind of mind related to one aspect of life, and each center has its speed. Each part of the center is a sub-mind and has its speed. So let's take the intellectual center. So the intellectual center has the thinking center, the feeling center, the emotional center, and the moving instinctive center. 
And the Our Intellectual Center also has the Formatory Center, which is this weird, broken, misconnected thing that kind of invented itself by being broken, like a tumor. Your body's out of whack and it just kind of invents itself. It just kind of grows itself. You know you're not supposed to have tumors? They call that dis-ease when you have a tumor. You're not supposed to have tumors. Something's wrong. So in the, this tumor in the intellectual center that we call the formatory center is something wrong. And when we get our intellectual center fixed, that will go away. That will be gone. It will just disappear in the same way that darkness disappears when you turn the light on. Like, where did it go? Well, it never was really there. So it didn't really go anywhere because it was never really there. And that's what will happen with the formatory center. It'll just disappear. Well, anyway, that's my theory. Each part of a center has its own fuel or energy source called hydrogens in the work. The formatory part of the intellectual center uses the slow and heavy hydrogen 48. It's kind of like lead. It's really heavily leaded fuel. Very slow, very heavy. The emotional center should work with hydrogen 24, which is twice as fast as what the formatory part of the intellectual center is working with. And if it does, it can work at about 30,000 times faster than the formatory center. So if the emotional center is working with hydrogen 24, which it rarely does for us. Actually, what do you suppose the emotional center works at? What hydrogen do you think it works at? 48, exactly. And if you're really, if you're really negative, my guess is you could probably work at 96. The thickest, heaviest, nastiest fuel available to us. Like murder, mass murder, you know, insanity, that kind of thing. So this is why we're trying to purify the emotional center. What are we trying to purify it of? Blow out all this hydrogen 96. Blow out all this hydrogen 48. Get rid of that stuff and start operating on hydrogen 24. Then it'll be operating 30,000 times faster than the formatory center. Even using hydrogen 48, it's still quick. And you can notice this in negative states. Look at how quick, even with hydrogen 48, the emotional center, even using a, a nasty, heavy, leaded fuel like that, can still be quicker than the formatory center. A lot quicker. You can jump into negative states before you can think about it. You can get jealous and suspicious before you have a thought. And then the thought will come to the aid of your suspicion or your jealousy. But the thought's always behind it. The jealousy, the suspicion is there first. What triggered it? It doesn't matter what triggered it. I mean, that's the emotional center using hydrogen 48. And it's still quicker than the formatory center. The sex center should use hydrogen 12. What do you suppose it usually uses? <laughs> You're right. 48, 48 somewhere between 48 and 96, yeah. There is no something between 48 and 96, either 48 or 96. But yeah, pretty much for most of us, it's going to be using hydrogen 48, which again is that heavy, thick, slow fuel source. While the moving center should use hydrogen 24, and sometimes does, as in accidents on other moments of danger, see, the moving center for Danny, when he was in that accident, was using hydrogen 24. 30,000 times faster than anything the formatory center could come up with. He could see everything happening all at once and see the only way out of it and take that only way out because his moving center obeyed. If he had thought to do it, he would have never been fast enough. But because his moving center simply operated at that rate, it saved his life. That's what's happening. That's how that happened. That's where your moving center could be working at if it was working properly with the proper hydrogen, with the right fuel. Now, fear can make it stop working altogether. Have you noticed that the moving center can be absolutely paralyzed? Fear will do that. Fear will paralyze the moving center. You'll be frozen in your tracks. You can see it with animals. They get caught in the headlights. They just stand there, and then they get run over. Practice can make the moving center use its right hydrogen. 
as with playing musical instrument. People who play musical instruments know that if you think about your fingering, you'll be slower than if you just allow the moving center, the muscle memory, to do it. So we have Rachel, she plays violin, I play guitar, you play piano, you play piano, you know, you play flute. We have people who play different instruments, and you know that if you're thinking about your fingering, you cannot keep time with the rest of the group. You cannot be thinking about your fingering. You have to have that down so that you don't even think about it. That will be your moving center operating with a better hydrogen, because you have trained it how to operate with a higher hydrogen, with a higher fuel. And so it will do it much faster than you could do it by putting your fingers where they belonged. This is why Gurdjieff's movement classes were important. The unfortunate thing about the fourth way is that people think that the only way to train the moving center is with Gurdjieff's dances, which is highly limiting. When you can consider that the fourth way is the way of man in life, we should be in life and training our moving center in life in everything. Driving a car, flying an airplane, piloting a boat, using tools, playing instruments. All of these things can be things that we use, consciously use, to train the moving center to use the, its proper hydrogen. This is very beneficial for us. It obviously benefits the intellectual center. It obviously benefits all of our centers because anytime we increase one, we're lifting our level of being. When we lift our level of being, we're getting closer to what we could be. That's what this is about. Now the denser the energy material, the slower it works. So if it's hydrogen 48, it works very slowly. If it's hydrogen 24, it's working much faster. If it's hydrogen 12, it works even faster. If it's hydrogen 6, it works even faster. If it's hydrogen 3, it works even faster. Think about the absolute. Theoretically, the absolute works with hydrogen 1. The absolute is world one. It's just one. Imagine for a moment that hydrogen one penetrates and comprehends everything all at once. Where would time be? No, it wouldn't be. It's meaningless. Time becomes meaningless because the absolute comprehends everything completely, thoroughly, all at once. So there is no time. So when you read something in the Bible, it's like a day with the Lord is like a thousand years, and a thousand years is like a day. What they're trying to get across is that there are different rates of speed when we use different fuels. The higher the fuel that we use, the faster we can go. So if you want to increase your development, then it behooves you to learn how to use higher fuels. That's what this work is about, to try and get you using higher fuels to purify your centers of all of the lower fuels that you've been using and to get them to operate with the proper fuel. Higher centers, the higher emotional and higher intellectual center, use hydrogen 12 and hydrogen 6. But we're generally asleep to them, so we can't hear them. They're going on all the time. Right now, your higher intellectual center and your higher emotional center are speaking to you. What are they saying? You're totally asleep to them, so you don't have a clue what they're saying, any more than you know what somebody is saying about you in Beijing right now, or what they're talking about in Timbuktu. You don't know, because you're asleep to that. And yet, you could be talking to somebody in Beijing right now. It's possible to just get on the phone and call Beijing. You could be talking to somebody in Beijing, but we're not. And until we make the connections, we won't. So what this work is about is making these proper connections so that we can start to use better fuels, get our centers operating properly. You first got to start noticing your centers. What's what? What is doing what? What center are you operating in now? And try not to express negative emotions. Try and go with better eyes. Better eyes operate with better fuel. You will automatically start to flood your center with better fuel by going with better eyes. Often the practical application of these ideas sounds like it's going to be easy. The ideas sound great. When we actually run into a situation or a person who's being a little more difficult than we'd like, we find it's not as easy as we thought it was going to be. If you've hit a snag with some aspect of this work, 
and its practical application in your everyday life, I invite you to write James at solidrockvista.com. Sometimes a fresh perspective is all it takes to get us back on the right track.